Pastor Xavier Reese offers this advice about the importance of seeking a relationship with God. Hebrews says, For you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessings, talking about Esau, he was rejected. He did not seek the birthright, but merely the blessing. Oh, there's a lot of people in church who are not seeking the one who gives the blessing, but the mere blessing. He wanted the blessing instead of God himself. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. From the early days of the pharaohs to the current days of dictators, history has produced some cruel tyrants. But no matter how hard a man tries to live his own life, even his defiance falls in line with the plans of God. Today, in his study of the book of Genesis, Pastor Xavier reminds us that we serve a God who is still on the throne. Let's join him for today's lesson, Sovereign God of Jacob. The covenant promise that passes on to Isaac with his family reveals the sovereignty of God through three events. First, the marriage and conception by Rebekah in verse 19 to 23. Secondly, the birth and distinction of the two sons in verses 24 through 28. And thirdly, the indifference and manipulation of the birthright in verse 29 through 34. The sovereignty of God is an amazing thing, and it's always correct, and it's right. We're going to see this very clear. Notice verse 24 through 26, the particular birth of the twins. The day had arrived to deliver the twins, just as God had foretold. Now the first came forth. He came out red, and the word red refers to a more tanny color, and he was a hairy garment all over. He was a little, little fur ball. And therefore, they call his name Esau, Harry. Uh, the second came forth. His brother came out holding Esau's heel. Therefore, they named him Jacob. Jacob means heel catcher, surplanner, finagler, deceiver, con artist. <laughs> Here from the womb, depicting character. Now, the boys grew in the process of time, were not given the events of their upbringing, were, th were ushered right into their adult state. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Verse 27 says, more of an outdoors man, rugged and strong. Uh, but notice Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents, more of an indoors man, more of a mama's boy, I will see. Um, the phrase mild man means perfect, complete, mature, the phrase appears 13 times in the Old Testament. Nine times it is translated perfect. Uh, many of the references are to Job. Two times undefiled, one time upright, and one time plain. The boys were different as night and day. And maybe you even look to your own life. You have a brother or a sister, and both of you are so opposite. Verse 28, the parental favoritism complicated the existing conditions. Isaac identified with Esau. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Esau liked the same things Isaac liked. How easy it is to, to, to kind of uh, lean more to a child who is more like you, more obedient, or whatever it may be. And we have to be careful as parents. Um, Rebecca identified with Jacob, but Rebecca loved Jacob. The favoritism separated the boys even more. Oh, what an awesome responsibility you and I have as parents that we love our children unconditionally the same. They're different, but we love them the same. 
We treat them as individuals, not as comparisons. It is such a trap of our flesh, and we can do such damage to them. Isaiah exemplifies God's sovereignty as God calls Cyrus, as you know. He says in Isaiah 45, 1, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armors of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. He was chosen to defeat Babylon, the very ones who were used by God to take Israel into captivity as he showed Habakkuk. People say, well, I don't think that's fair. Well, you're not on the throne. And God takes someone who's more righteous and punishes them through a person who's more wicked. Can you handle that? Do you have all the facts? You don't. Do you know what he's doing? No. So you have to rest in God. Children are distinctly different from the very womb. Those of you who have had children, more than one, two, three, four, children are amazingly different. They have their weakness, they have their abilities, they have their strengths. And, and as a parent, I'm there to guide and to pray and to direct and to guide and to lay hands on them and to just be there for them, that God would be in control of their life. Encourage them, lest I stumble them. Any comparing of one against the other will always pit the children against each other and make them bitter not only towards each other but towards the parents, Always. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 6, 4. He says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged, Colossians 3.21. We can discourage our children in many ways by being too protective, by being too permissive, by not releasing them a little bit at a time, by not praying for them, by not correcting them, by not being around And many children today don't have that privilege today, even in Christian homes. Stop and think of the greatest thing that you can do to this child. The child gets up and he wakes up, he sees his mommy there, and and, and he goes to the table, she gets him breakfast and everything, and during the day he's running around, he's playing, and she's there for him, prays over him, or takes him shopping, whatever it is. Uh, The dad comes home and he sees that and whatever. But many times children don't have that today. Their memory banks are filled with something different. They rushed out of bed and they're dropped at the babysitter, and then they're there all day like little wards and everything. They're picked up and they're brought home home, they eat, and, and then they're put to bed, and they're up again, and they don't have those, those family things built in their memory banks anymore. They're being raised unnatural without family love. Children are to be cared for. The greatest investment you have is your children. They will go on if the Lord tarries. They are the church of tomorrow. Demonstration of favoritism towards the children will destroy the oneness of the home, even as the life of David. You've, we've gone through the life of David. What a horrible life. Because he favored. He didn't discipline his children. It affected the home. The children will not honor or respect the parent who favors the child. The child who is favored will be more like the parent who favors them, and they'll pick up their bad traits. The mutual love that is to be in the Christian home will be forfeited. It will not be a loving home. The different personalities are used by God sovereignly for his glory. 
if the person submits himself to God as his instrument. Listen to Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some of honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. What a difference my life made when I accepted Jesus Christ in 1973 and I aligned myself with my creator. He used my life, my personality, who I am for his glory. What a difference the last 32 years have made. I would not want to see the last 32 years without Christ. What a waste it would have been. Total waste. The birth and distinction of the two sons involved the sovereignty of God. Though things seem chaotic, what's going on? God's sovereignty was at work. Notice, lastly, we have the indifference and manipulation of the birthright, verse 29 through 34. Verse 29 and 30, the day was like any other. The occasion was a normal one. And Jacob was cooking a stew as he, his custom was, dwelling in the tents. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary, not having found any game without doubt. The situation in verse 13 of Esau was not life-threatening. Uh, Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same raw stew, for I am weary. The word weary means faint or exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom, it says. Edom means red. A play on words here with the phrase red stew. In fact, this became his nickname and later the identity of his descendants, the Edomites. They became the enemies of Israel, as you know, as they came out of Egypt, the Exodus. In Numbers 20, Ezekiel speaks about it. Obadiah speaks how they, they betrayed Israel and they handed them over to their enemies. And yet they were brothers. Notice that they presented the opportunity for Jacob to buy the birthright in verse 31 and 32. The phrase, but Jacob said, identifies Jacob's awareness of the perfect timing, being an opportunist and deceiver. This guy's always looking. This guy's always seeing how he can get the upper hand. He's a con artist. Without any doubt, Jacob had been told by his mother about the promise of God prior to his birth. So he knew that God says it's going to be Jacob. Many years have gone by. Nothing's happened. And so what happens? Well, we got to help God out. Uh-oh. Esau, his older brother, would serve Jacob, the younger brother. Jacob, as his name indicates, is going to do all that he can to ensure that he gets the promised blessing. If God promises you something, let God bring it to pass. Don't go out to fulfill it yourself. You'll get yourself in trouble. He will take care of it. Now, the proposal of Jacob, notice, was, sell me your birthright as of this day. The firstborn received a double portion, as you know, according to Deuteronomy 21, 17. Jacob was presuming to help out God and what he had promised. This is always a mistake. This always complicates things and brings about hurt. We've already seen what happened with Abraham and Sarah, as they had a little Ishmael. 
And we will always complicate our life when we don't rest in God. Jacob was not being very loving to his brother. The years of favoritism had not helped the matter at all. But notice the unappreciation by Esau of the birthright is evident by his exaggeration in verse 32. He embellishes his situation, and Esau said, look, I am about to die. He wasn't dying. He had not caught any game, and he was merely hungry and lazy to cook his own food. He expressed his lack of concern for the privileged birthright, evident by his carnality. So, what is this birthright to me? No value. Esau was not concerned with spiritual things. Esau was merely concerned with the immediate need and comfort for himself. That's always the flesh. Notice the day accomplished Jacob's goal in verse 33 and 34. The conniver Jacob pressed hard. He's like a car salesman. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day, seeing the limited opportunity. He takes the step forward. Seeing the vulnerability of Esau, he doesn't hesitate. And the earthbound Esau agreed, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. The oath would bind him to the sale. The deed was done. The transaction follows. Jacob gave the Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Mark the four verbs. It indicates the lack of concern and worth of his birthright. He ate, drank, rose, went his way. No big deal. What's the problem? How easily we throw away the things that are really valuable in life. Only to look back and to regret it. The condemnation of Esau is by way of commentary at the end of verse 34. The proclamation was, thus Esau despised his birthright. The word despise means to treat as worthless. Esau cared more for the flesh. To be satisfied, being a slave to his physical appetites. Driven. I think of Nebuchadnezzar and the beautiful definition that he gives to us of the sovereignty of God in Daniel 4.35. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is on the throne. And so I look to him, Lord, let me line myself up with your will. Lord, I don't understand all the things that are going right now, but I know you do. So let me rest in you. Let your word direct and guide me. And I commend myself to him, because if not, I'll do something stupid. I have to be careful of my emotions, of my intellect, that can get me in trouble. We cannot excuse ourselves by saying uh, that God has made us a certain way, so why does he find fault in me, as Paul says in Romans 9.19? Because as I come to Christ, then he will change me into his image. He doesn't want to leave me the way I am. He wants to transform me as I yield to him. God has given to everyone a free will, and he never violates that free will. God gives to every person an opportunity to choose who's going to lead his life, either God or the person himself. It's choice. 
as you continue there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the warning is clear. It says, looking diligent, which means to look over, oversee continuously. You cannot take a break from your spiritual life. You cannot put it on hold. You must be diligent. The ideas of the responsibility and accountability of each believer to oversee their own life do by living in community. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf or lump. We run that race. We have to be careful. Some of you are slowing down in the race and the sidelines are starting to look pretty good. Some of you have already sitting down on the side. Be careful of saying, oh, I'll get back in the race after I get this done. Be careful. You fix what is wrong while you're running. You do not stop running. Hebrews 12, 15 through 16 gives us three reasons. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. The word short means to lack, to devoid of, to be devoid of. Fall behind the potential of the grace of God, which is all sufficient. Listen to me. The grace of God is all sufficient for everything that will come into my life. And sometimes it's good that I'm overwhelmed and be broken before God because I can be so self-sufficient. Sometimes it's good that you don't have it all together. You know what I mean? Sometimes the greatest victory is a good defeat. Hmm. The tense is the present participle describing an active disregard by continuous state, not a single defection, but it's become a way of life. Christendom put it this way. The image is taken from a company of travelers, one of whom lags behind and so never reaches the end of the long, laborious journey. Get careless. You start rationalizing things. And before you know, you're way behind. But secondly, he said, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and many become defiled. Bitterness is the result of not forgiving, resenting and holding grudges, having ill will and hidden agendas. Your heart gets hard. You become removed. You trouble yourself. Rather than receiving chastening of the Lord or resolving issues with people, we get hard, we get bitter, we get resentful, and it's a poison. It poisons me first. Then it poisons everybody else around me because it poisons my perspective. I'm not free to see the things through God. Now I see them through my difficulty, through my hardness. The outcome is the defiling of many due to the inner relationships and ties that we have with one another. No one's an island. God has made you and me for community. I know people live alone, but... God didn't make us to live alone. You can have all kinds of money. You can go anywhere you want alone, and that's not much fun. But you go with other people, it's a blast, isn't it? <laughs> God has made us for community people. That's why the greatest place in the world is the church. The greatest place in the world is the church. The word defile means to die with one another, a color to stain the ideas of polluting and contaminating. 
You can only get rid of that by coming before the throne to be forgiven and to release that and to let the Lord fill you with his love and his grace. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Verse 16, he applies it directly to Esau here. Literally one to be in front or outside the temple, ungodly, due to the fact that he sold his birthright for one morsel of food. God knew the character of Esau before he was even born. Therefore, Jacob was the one who God chose beforehand. He's perfect in wisdom. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 17, Hebrews says, For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, talking about Esau, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He did not seek the birthright, but merely the blessing. Oh, there's a lot of people in church who are not seeking the one who gives the blessing, but the mere blessing. What can God do for me? What can the church do for me? Instead of seeking the kingdom of God, his rights, then all these things shall be added unto you. He did not come in true, genuine repentance, but in remorse, with tears. He regretted what he lost. He wanted the blessing instead of God himself. Christians at times sell out their birthright cheap. They sell out for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend who's not born again. And they become unfaithful to the Lord. Others sell out for money, for power. They become corrupt. Still others for life, pleasure. They choose that overgrowing in Christ and being disciplined and denying themselves. They neglect reading, prayer, fellowship of the church. They don't consider those things valuable. They're indifferent. The outcome is a very meager spiritual life, always bringing upon themselves more difficulties and more problems by their own lifestyle. Paul the Apostle put it this way as he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. How are you doing in the race? Are you getting weary? Are you drawing closer to the Lord? Are you pressing towards the mark? I hope so. There's no other place. There's no other way. Many things we will not understand, but we do understand that God is sovereign. He's on the throne, and we're right on schedule. I have to rest in him. And he will direct. He will guide me. He will do the best for me because he loves me. No other reason. Not because I'm lovable, but because he loves me. That's all. And so... The indifference and manipulation of the birthright did not contradict the sovereignty of God. Here you have the covenant promise to Isaac and his family. It's revealed the sovereignty of God through these three movements and events. The marriage and conception of Rebekah was by the sovereignty of God. The birth and distinction of the two sons involved the sovereignty of God. 
and the indifference and manipulation of the birthright did not contradict the sovereignty of God. God wasn't worried. Are you? <laughs> Rest in Him. He's on the throne. Pastor Xavier Reese, and the reason why we can put our trust in a God who is sovereign. And you can pick up a copy of today's study, Sovereign God of Jacob. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, this will also include what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is Sovereign God of Jacob, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's always helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you do contact us. Well, be sure and tell a friend about this ministry and join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 